Hello and welcome to Sign for Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. Today, I'm excited to welcome Lisa Crispin. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Dr. It's an honor to be here and uh, very interested in learning more about your community of developers. Great, great. Happy to have you here. Can you just go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. I'm a tester by trade. I've been in the software business for 40 years now, which is really amazing. And for more than 20 years, I've been lucky enough to work on agile teams, mostly what would be termed high-performing agile teams. We didn't start out that way. (laughs) So, you know, learning all the good modern software development practices and seeing all the ways we can build quality into our products, sharing my experiences along with a lot of other people's experiences so that we can all learn from each other and work together to solve whatever new problems that we come up with. So my goal is to help people learn to collaborate, work together so they can learn more easily and learn faster and progress and grow more quickly because it's all about continuous improvement. So I live in Vermont on a little farm with donkeys and dogs and cats and a husband. So it's very nice that just when we moved to Vermont, that more people started working remotely, even though it wasn't for a great reason, but (laughs) it's a silver lining. Yeah, it's a great set of things that happened through various reasons. Great. Thanks for that introduction. So as I was thinking about this episode and majority of our listeners, it's a definition of testing and it could mean different things for different people, depending in which shoes we are standing. And I would say that probably for the majority of our listeners, it's that element of writing automated tests to ensure that your small or bigger piece of code feature is working as intended and then passing it off to a continuous integration. You know, everything is green, push it into production. But, you know, systems are complex. There are also public clouds, different architecture types of microservices and so on, mobile apps and so on. It's always just getting more complicated. <laughs> there are more components in place. So. I think it would be great if you could shine some light on the aspects of testing in a more holistic approach. What is out there more and how it connects together apart from writing that continuous or integration test? Yeah, well, of course, continuous integration is a core practice that I believe no team will succeed long-term without continuous integration. And of course, we want automated regression tests to run in our continuous integration and make sure that you know we've met the requirements for our features. We've provided value that customers want in terms of functionality. And we've guided our development using these tests with test-driven development, behavior-driven development. That's super, super important. And again, that's a foundational practice. And I can remember back in the early days of extreme programming, we all embraced these ideas. But after a couple of years, we realized there were a lot of other aspects of quality that were as important as meeting the requirements that the customers gave us. And so testing activities encompass all of those. And at the same time, as you say, our products, our systems have gotten way more complex. We're running in the cloud. We have microservices. Like The architectures have changed. And 
even in the old days, we could not reproduce a production environment in tests. It's generally impossible. And so we can test as much as we want in our test environment, but we're going to miss some things. Customers are unpredictable. Everything's unpredictable. And, you know, we started expanding into other types of testing activities that are equally important. Things like exploratory testing. So once we've checked that we've met the requirements, what else might we have missed? What might our customer have missed in defining their requirements? And so we explore our features. We put on our customer persona hats and it's like, what would a customer do here? You know, we might do chaos engineering. What would happen if a server went down or a database went down? And we start having to explore various scenarios that we couldn't have thought of up front. But even then, you know, and then we have things like accessibility, security, reliability, sustainability. There are all these aspects of quality that are really, really important. And with the advent of sort of the DevOps model with those two loops, you know, we're building a feature on the left and we're deploying it and taking care of it in production and learning on the right. And Dan Ashby was the first person I know of that took that DevOps loop model and said, you know what, we do testing activities all the way around this loop. And he called it the continuous testing loop. But over time, we discovered that people, when they say continuous testing, they're only referring to the automated tests that run in CI. Those tests are important, but there's so much more to testing all the way around that DevOps loop. So my co-author and business partner, Janet Gregory, came up with this model for holistic testing. Let's look at the activities in the software development continuous loop and what testing activities are involved along with those activities. And we really need the tester mindset, the testing skills, things like, you know, we're great question askers. When people use the term QA, I think question asker. We're great at identifying risks. We're great at noticing patterns. Not that other people can't do this. It's just that that's our deep specialty. And I've been trying to get testers to see that they have to be involved in testing and production. People get scared by that term. Uh, observability, learning about our systems in production, identifying problems quickly because we couldn't anticipate all those problems, being able to fix them quickly because we have good continuous integration and continuous delivery. And at the same time, working with site reliability engineers and people who work more on the right side of the loop to see that Infrastructure needs to be tested as well. Testing perspective is useful when we're looking at all of our log data and all of our metrics and all of our alerts. So just trying to get everybody working together in that true DevOps culture. And so that's been my mission for the last few years is sort of integrating those things and taking that holistic view to testing. I'm really glad that Janet came up with that term holistic testing because when I've shared that with people I know who do the same kind of work I do, they're like, yes. They look at that model and they say, that is exactly what we do. So that's what testers on high-performing teams are doing. And we want to spread that idea to more people. Semaphore now understands your tests. With the new test reports feature, your team now has a unified report of all the parallel jobs in your CI/CD pipeline. Get a single test report for the whole pipeline See filtered and skip tests on the test dashboard and find the slowest tests in your test suite. Learn more at semaphoreci.com slash test reports. 
And in terms of changes, you mentioned at some point extreme programming and you know the practices that came out, out of that. It was also a time where a lot of things started moving to being, you know, always available, you know, and offer as a services through the internet. But although there is still a um, significant portion of software, which is shipped, not let's say many times per day, but has a different release cycle. As you, through your career experience, that shift from, you know, being always on, deploying many times per day versus, you know, we are going to have a monthly, bi-weekly, whatever, recycle. I'm curious to hear how do you see those differences and shifts and how that changes things for QA people? So that's a good question. I've been on teams that, for business reasons, we only released every two weeks because our customers didn't want even small changes more frequently than that. And because our customer support had to be notified, there was just some coordination that had to happen. And yet we considered ourselves a team practicing continuous delivery because we always had a deployable bill that we could put in production. And I think that's really key. I think no matter how often you deploy or release to production, I think continuous delivery is a benefit. I can't, it's hard to imagine where it wouldn't be a benefit if somebody knows of a place. I guess I'd like to know. But, you know, even back in my days on waterfall teams, waterfall has a bad name now, but I was on a waterfall team in the early to mid 90s. We had all the practices. We did continuous integration. We had automated deployments. We had practically 100% regression test coverage at the unit level and the UI level. We worked together through all these different phases. We were a database software company. And back in the early to mid 90s, nobody needed a new version more than every six months or once a year. But yet, we pretty much had a deployable build at any given time because we were running our continuous integration every day. And these are not new practices. It's just that extreme programming kind of popularized them. So I think it's a separate thing. And I think it's a thing where the business and the technology sides of the company have to work together. The business has to decide what cadence works for them. And they have to adapt how they're requesting new capabilities from the technology side, make that congruent with their cadence so that on the technology side, we understand we still want to deliver in small increments, but when do they want to, you know, flip the switch and actually show things to customers. And I think it's important to coordinate those things. Clear. And over time, as you are entering organizations and helping them in various ways, what are some things that are still around perhaps and maybe shouldn't be? And what's the rate of change that you see? <laughs> you know, I've been lucky to be in magical unicorn land for a lot of the last 22 years that the teams necessarily started out that way, but that we had enlightened executives or co-founders who were like, well, our business model depends on everything being automated. <laughs> so let's hire some really good people who know how to develop software and let's let them develop the software <laughs> in the way they know the best and let's support them and collaborate with them. So unfortunately, I find that's extremely rare. So, yes, I still see 
the majority of teams are a long ways from high performing. And we see that in surveys like the Dora State of DevOps surveys and things like that. You know, there are more and more teams achieving those levels of being able to deliver frequently at a sustainable pace so that their teams are happy, their customers are happy. We see that's happening a little more. But when I started in the software business in the early 1980s and was asked by the person interviewing me if I baked because they really liked having baked goods in the office. I thought change would have changed a lot for women in software too. But I see that changes, you know, things have changed, but they're slow. And in the testing side of things, I have seen a pretty dramatic shift in the last 20 years. You know, in the early 2000s, Janet, Gregory, and I were among the lone voices in the wilderness saying, well, first of all, you XP teams need testers. We can add a lot of value. And second of all, you testers, this is a good way to work. It's focused on quality. It's focused on people. We're building quality in. We're preventing bugs, not finding them after the fact. It's a lot more fun. We're doing it together. And so these concepts, there's a wide testing community now that has embraced these. And those are normal ideas to them. Whereas when Janet and I were first going to conferences or writing articles about them, people were like, what? (laughs) So I've seen some positive changes, and yet I still run into sizable, significant, big companies and government organizations that still don't have continuous integration, which to me is just a basic core practice you can't do without. And if I'm doing a training course and they don't have continuous integration, I want to say, well, save your money, stop doing this. Go get your continuous integration running and come back because the things I'm teaching you will not help you without that. You almost asked the question that I wanted to ask. And we do also from time to time, you know, face organizations who are reasonably successful, you know, not small, but they're very far behind. You know, what you mentioned you were doing in early 90s. You know, with old practices being in place, although it didn't deploy and release five times per day, that's fine. There are organizations who are still very behind on that train. So, yeah, you answered the question, maybe partially, go set up your continuous integration and don't come back, and we are going to level that up. Can you give us a glimpse of what that looks like? Let's say when you're going to the organization, help them, you know, reach their next level. What are a couple of high-level you know, bullet points that you go through with them. I assume it also depends on the organization. (laughs) It's not my area of expertise implementing continuous integration, but all I can say is that the teams I've been on were committed to delivering a high-quality product. That's the first thing that we did. It just wasn't that hard. Now, these were smaller teams that I was on back then, but, you know, a day or two, we had continuous integration running. (laughs) I don't know why it's so hard. Now with larger organizations I was working with, I joined them and they already had continuous integration. So I have not had to help a larger organization implement it, but I have help with infrastructure changes. So, you know, maybe we're going to change our deployment. Our continuous integration maybe isn't GitHub Actions, but we don't like the deployment side of that. So we're going to replace the deployment side with Harness because we think that's going to be a better tool. Well, as a tester, I can be involved with that, help come up with a test strategy for moving over to that, reducing the risk of things going wrong when we switch and working together with the engineers and the developers, SREs and developers, 
to make that a smooth process. And they're appreciative of having somebody with a testing background because they don't know how to come up with a test strategy. You know, I didn't start out knowing anything about harness either, but when we collaborate together, we can figure it out together. And so that's the model. I think that DevOps culture of people working together and bringing their specialized skills to the table and being able to help each other. I see that work really well. Semaphore now understands your tests. With the new test reports feature, your team now has a unified report of all the parallel jobs in your CI/CD pipeline. Get a single test report for the whole pipeline, see filtered and skipped tests on the test dashboard, and find the slowest tests in your test suite. Learn more at semaphoreci.com slash test reports. We already identified, let's say, a lack of continuous integration can be one of the you know major anti-patterns, and then it's hard to move things forward without that component. And after that, what would you say that are some of the key anti-patterns that you are seeing most frequently in organizations in terms of testing as a practice? Well, it's not a testing practice really, but you know, back to why has changed so slow. Test-driven development. I'm told by people like David Farley, who co-wrote Continuous Delivery with Jez Humble. They're my heroes. He says that teams that practice TDD pretty much avoid 80% of the bugs that most teams have. And I can say that's my experience. When I've been on teams practicing TDD, I'm not wasting my time finding unit-level bugs. And if I'm spending all my time finding unit-level bugs, I'm never going to have time to find the more important sort of system-wide bugs that are going to really affect the customers. But yet, there were a couple of panel discussions in 2020 that I think Dave and Jez were involved in of why haven't people adopted TDD? I have my theory as to why that is, because it's really hard (laughs) to learn. The teams I've been on took months even to just get traction on it because they didn't know how to write unit tests. They didn't know how to practice TDD. And Brian Merritt calls it the hump of pain. When you're first doing it, you're spending more and more time than you used to spend developing because you've got to write these tests and it's hard. But over time, you start to get a you know, a library of test components and it becomes easier and you start to know how to do it. And all of a sudden, you're saving effort. And now you can spend that effort on other things. But it takes so much time and... Unfortunately, most businesses do not have the vision to realize that if they let their teams make that investment, that learning investment, over time, it would just pay off hugely. Preventing 80% of the bugs, how much time do we spend fixing those bugs, right? After the fact, if we prevent them, we have all that saved effort. So that's just an example of one of the things I've seen that's especially slow to change. I think part of it is, you know, at least in the United States, our economy driven by public companies and the stock market, it's all on your quarterly results. So who's going to make a long-term investment? And it's really frustrating. But I mean, teams do that, you know, where I work right now, they embrace tester development from the start and other good practices like pairing and ensemble programming and continuous integration. And they're a startup, but they've done really well with their quality where a lot of startups suffer from very poor quality. And a lot of times that causes them to fail. 
And I guess another area of testing, you know, kind of on the other side, well, I think a lot of people don't invest enough. They don't even understand what observability is and they don't invest enough on good telemetry and being able to understand what their product is doing in production and being able to diagnose problems frequently. Now, I've also worked for companies that did a really horrible job of testing, but they were so good at observability (laughs) that they could fix their problems for their customers in a couple minutes. And that works as long as you are a startup with a few customers. It doesn't scale because your big enterprise customers are not going to tolerate that. So you need both of those things. And you need things like exploratory testing, you know, learning about the product after you think you're done with your initial functional testing and your test automation of what didn't we think of? How are a lot of customers use this product? What environment may they use it in? What devices may they use? What's their network speed? You know, where will they be? And you start trying all these real world things and learn a lot of, oh, we're missing a feature or we didn't think of that and we have to go back and add some capability to deal with this situation. You need time to do that. But if your testers are spending all their time either manually regressing testing, because I also see many, many, many organizations with no automated testing. If they're doing it manually, they don't have time. If they're dealing with flaky automated tests, they don't have time. So there are a lot of things that have to come together. All these testing activities are important and we need to kind of master the basic ones to have time to learn to do the others because they're all important. One of the conclusions for me is automate absolutely everything what is possible to automate and what the human doesn't have to do because humans should do those things that are very hard and very creative and exploratory and complex that are almost impossible to automate. Well said. Well said. I like that. Yeah, thanks. And your career is long, as you said, and you have seen a lot of war stories <laughs> in the domain. What would you give, you know, some of the key tips for the people who are either, you know, maybe for even some time in the QA domain and want to progress their careers further? What would be a roadmap that you would suggest? Another anti-pattern that I see are testers who are often a siloed team or Maybe there's a tester embedded on the team, but the test automation is done either by the testers or by some separate test automation team that has software developers, engineers, and tests automating the tests. I think all that's an anti-pattern because, as you know, our tests need to guide our development. And as we've seen in the data from the Dora State of DevOps survey, the correlation for high-performing teams is that the developers own those automated tests, even at the UI level. And they collaborate with the testers who know how to specify the tests and design the tests and do good coverage. It has to be a collaborative effort. So I think what I tell everybody, regardless of where they are in their career, is number one, build relationships. When I start a new job, and I'm a shy person, so it's not easy and everybody around me is probably a shy person, we're an industry of introverts, is I contact you know, somebody on the platform team and set up a, can we have a one-on-one every couple of weeks? Then I might learn about something like Harness, which I end up having to test. People on the database team, you know, if they're separate teams. 
and then try to encourage your organization to take that more DevOps approach. Where I work now, I really love the approach they take because they call their SREs dev advocates and they embed them on the feature teams and they take developers in the feature team and embed them on the platform teams. And their mission as a platform team is provide the infrastructure, but turn it over to the feature teams to own and manage their own infrastructure. I think that's a great model, but we have to be able to work together to do that. And many people, whether they're a tester or developer or platform engineer or whatever, they have not worked with people in other specialties. So get to know those people, build those bridges, and it starts a foundation for working together. When we have a bunch of people with diverse experiences and diverse skills, we can solve problems a lot faster. That's why Janet and I have always promoted this whole team approach to testing and quality. It takes everybody. Even back in the 90s, I used to hear testing experts say, you can't test quality into a product. (laughs) And that's absolutely true in terms of if you're testing after the fact. But you can use things like test-driven development and behavior-driven development and other practices to build quality into that product and then do a lot of other things to help with all the other many quality attributes that are so important today. You know, we could have the best product in the world, but if our security is bad, we're going to be out of business. For lacking in accessibility, depending on where we are, where our customers are, we could be in legal trouble. There's just so many ways that you can go wrong. And it, it takes a village. It takes people. There are studies that show that companies who employ a diverse workforce or people from diverse backgrounds and experiences and stuff, they make more money. They're more innovative. And this applies to software teams too. So my mission, again, is just trying to get people collaborate, work together. And as individuals, it takes that first step. It can be very hard to influence an organization if the culture is really dysfunctional and toxic. And unfortunately, (laughs) those are out there. But as an individual, I can start building relationships. I can start talking to somebody on the monitoring and observability team and get them interested in testing. And they can show me, like, here's what we have, you know, here's what we're logging, here's what's on our dashboard. And I could say, ooh, well, what about this information? Could I find this information? It would be really helpful. And so we can work together in those ways. I hope that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it was a fantastic answer and advice. And for people who want to learn more about your work, about the domain, you mentioned a number of people who are obviously you know, leaders in the domain. What would you list for us as a couple of key references where we could go and learn more? My website is just lisacrispin.com and I have a page there for testers who are interested in learning more about the quote-unquote DevOps side of things how they can learn about continuous delivery, observability, monitoring. I've just got a huge list of books, podcasts, videos, webinars, whatever, and you know various blog posts. AgileTester.ca is the website for the books that Janet Gregory and I have written. And also we have a video course. So you can go to that site. And there's a lot of free content there. We have book chapters that are downloadable and things like that. And lots of free testing resources cheat sheets and things like that that can help 
people learning how to test or wanting to expand their skills. And then we have a training course, agiletestingfellow.com. Janet and I have a training course, which we're going to rename to Holistic Testing, but right now it's called Agile Testing for the Whole Team. And we're adding a couple courses, including a more advanced course. The working title is Testing in DevOps. That's so vague and hand wavy, but how testers can get more involved in helping their team succeed with continuous delivery. So we're really excited about working on that. So those are just a few areas. And, you know, the book, Continuous Delivery, that I mentioned, that's one of my Bibles, Accelerate by Dr. Nicole Forrest Grin, Jez Humble, and oh, I forgot his name. Anyway, that is a great book because it also goes into how you can change your culture. Culture is so important. The modernagile.org from Joshua Karievsky, I think is a great site to go to with its prerequisites for success. So I could go on all day with helpful <laughs> resources. But also, anybody that wants to contact me, you know, my email is lisa at lisachrisman.com or my Twitter. I'm at Lisa Chrisman pretty much everywhere. So feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or LinkedIn, although I don't always look at LinkedIn, but I should. Thank you. Yeah, that's a list I checked prior to the episode, a couple of them, and there is like a huge library of amazing resources. So yeah, we are for sure going to list those out in the episode notes. It was super interesting to see and, you know, hear your approach to the craft. Thank you so much and good luck with future books, courses and everything. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I'm excited to learn more about Semaphore. Like anything I can do to help companies embrace continuous integration, I'm happy to have those tools in my toolbox. <laughs> Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>